Did you know locums docs make, on average, 33% more than employed docs? Got your attention now? So, if you're considering locum tenants, either full-time or on the side, you probably have a question or two, or maybe even 20. Locumstory.com is packed with unbiased information and tools to see what the trends are in your specialty and even make a decision if locums is right for you. My advice? Make locumstory.com the go-to place to learn more about locum tenants. That's locumstory.com. What's good, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Docs Outside the Box. I am your host, Dr. Nee, joined by... Dr. Renee. Oh, snap. I love that. That's what I'm talking about. Short, sweet, to the point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying. Yeah, you've been watching them videos on social media and realizing that your stuff is too damn long. Mm, yeah. No, I think the people actually want more. No, they don't. You know, people. Thumbs what up they want. or thumbs down, folks. What y'all think? What y'all want? Thumbs Get up or thumbs here. down? Uh, <laughs> down. But anyway, guys, this is Docs Outside the Box. This is a fusion of money, medicine, and pop culture. We are your hosts. Let's jump right into this. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm yeah, doing really good. You've been very tired lately. I've been very tired. Y'all. I am on my five o'clock grind again. Um, <laughs> just, you know, personal improvement. So I wake up at five o'clock. I get studying going. I'm getting ready for boards. And, you know, by the time, you know, four o'clock, five o'clock comes, I'm hitting like, I'm really tired. You are in really the afternoon. tired. Yes. And then, you know, we got to get the kids to bed. And then I've been working out afterwards. So I haven't been going to bed until like, oof, mm-hmm. maybe it's, a little bit after 10, 11, then, you know, hitting it is not working. So changing things up, changing things up and uh, we'll see how it goes. But um, it's working and um, I like it. You know, that five to seven in the morning time zone or time mm-hmm. slot, nothing is going on during that time. Exactly. My phone is on do not disturb. And everybody's I just finished, sleeping. I just finished reading The Miracle Morning, which is a really great book. And it's really, I like it because it gives you really great steps to get up and stay up, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, if you haven't read the book, I'm just going to give you really quick things, which is one, put your phone, which is more than likely going to be your alarm clock, put it on the other side of the bed. Number two, when you wake up, you set it for five o'clock or six o'clock, you're going to be tired and it doesn't matter. The book is right. It says whether or not, you know, you're waking up at five in the morning, six in the morning or four in the morning, you're, you're going to be tired, yeah. right? Yeah. Because you have it in your mind like how much time you need to sleep. Right. So if you go to bed at nine o'clock at night and you wake up at nine o'clock in the morning, that's a great amount of sleep. But if you weren't expecting to sleep that long, you're going to feel great. If you were expecting to sleep longer, you're going to feel tired. Right. So really the perception of if you're tired or not, if you got enough rest is really in your mind Mm. and what your expectations are. Right. Interesting. So number one, move the alarm clock to the other side of the room, which is what I did. I took it away from the, the table stand right next to me. Then... Brush your teeth. Mm-hmm. Three, drink a whole, I drink a whole uh, bottle of water. So it's about 500 cc's. And then I go downstairs and according to Atomic Habits, I made the process of studying, personal journaling, doing, you know, whatever I need to do, very attractive. Mm-hmm. So the room that I'm studying in is always warm. The lights are on. Everything is set up. The desk is not messy. So that all I have to do is sit down and get ready to, to study and work. And I love it. What you studying for? I'm studying for boards. Yeah. But that's the thing that I really, I mean, that's, 
See, the thing that I think people don't talk about a lot, and I think <laughs> Atomic Habits really get, and this is not the point of the episode, but the, the thing that I think a lot of people don't talk about is motivation really is, and we learned that in Atomic Habits, Atomic, like motivation ain't nothing. Motivation is a waste of time, in my opinion. It really is about the system that you have mm-hmm. set up and how is it that you're going to continue to do this behavior even when you don't want to do it. Right. Right. Which brings me to you. Let's talk about you. What? What, was it, what is it that you're working on? You're working on something. I am working on something. We're about two years late because you're trying to work on a hot girl summer. But <laughs> <laughs> you're about two years late. But I ain't going to say nothing. But tell listen, them what you're trying to do to get ready listen, for the summer. Summer 2023 ain't here yet. Okay. It's just crazy that you say 23. Like, it's that damn. Yeah, that's yeah. like that Terminator future. For real. Like, when I sign my surgical consents, I think I'm still putting 2022. I got to be careful about that yeah. and put 2023 on that. So, no. So, me, I decided to do like a micro, micro, micro habit because you know. Micro, guys. Micro. Um, I hate working out. I do not like working out just for the sake of working out. But um, so one of the things that I've done is incorporated a micro habit. And then I incorporate a little bit of a macro habit. So um, my micro habit is basically I do 10 sit-ups and 10 push-ups before I go to bed. That's it. 10 sit-ups, 10 push-ups. That's it. So at the end of a week, I have done 70 sit-ups and 70 push-ups. That's it. Now. No, nothing more? Nothing. Nothing. Well, I've actually, no. I've, I've done, I've gone up to 20 sit-ups before. But what I figured out was, well, I could do. What had happened was. No. I could do nothing and have zero sit-ups and zero push-ups at the end of a week. Or I could have 70. So I chose to have at least 70. So that's the 1% getting better as right. opposed to saying, yo, I'm about to do like 50 sit-ups a day. Exactly. And then we're going to do this and then you're going to burn exactly. yourself out. You gave yourself a small number. To Basi- start. Basically, you're trying to build a habit. Right. The I'm sit-ups, trying to build a At habit. this point, the sit-ups don't matter. It's the doing the sit-ups. Right. That is getting your, your mind to know that right before I go to bed, mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be doing some activity. Exactly. In this case, it's push-ups and, and sit-ups. sit-ups. Okay. So I started with that. And like I said, I don't like working out. I hate working out. I, I don't know how people do treadmill, Peloton, elliptical. I've done those things before, and I absolutely hate it. Well, I think part of it is because they spend a lot of money on it. Well, so. <laughs> yeah, that might be it. But I they feel spend a, like they spend a stack, and they're like, well, they spend like three stacks actually. Well, yeah, yeah, it's a lot of money. So, but I feel like it's. I feel like those things are. And listen, I'm not getting on anybody, so don't come for me. But look, I this feel, is, hold on. This is a podcast. This is our podcast. You are free to get on someone, whoever you want. Like, but this, I'm not getting on this anybody. on regular TV. Get on someone. Call okay, some I'm controversy. Get on you then. That's fine. I don't care. Whatever. I'm not getting it. on anybody. I'm, I'm a surgeon. I can take it. I, I'm not. I'm not soft like you obese. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, you know what? Pause for that uh, a second. Pause. Pause for that one second. Because speaking of you, a surgeon, I actually have um, a little bit of something that I would like for you to watch. And uh, Alfred, I'm, I'm going to send you this clip. So if you could play this now. If you need an operation on your knee, do you want the general surgeon or do you want the surgeon who's been doing just knees for over 20 years? Expertise matters. Let's hear that again. If you need an operation on your knee, do you want the general surgeon or do you want the surgeon who's been doing just knees for over 20 years? Expertise matters. 
Well, I mean, I mean that's pretty obvious, right? Like, what the hell you want a general surgeon working okay, on your knees? Okay, so anyway, um, <laughs> that was just for you. Yeah, that, commer- that commercial has been all over, and that's for that's a commercial for Windows. Yes, which it is. is like all right, it whatever. Is. Um, but since you point. be getting on the on the orthos so much, yeah, I figure I'd do this for them. Okay, cool. So orthos, that's that's your revenge. I'm doing your revenge for you. you okay, have, you anyway, can have your knees. My other, my other, <laughs> <laughs> my other habit. Right. Is one where, like I said, I don't do Peloton. I don't do any of those elliptical machines, blah, 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 because I feel like for me, that is exercise without purpose. Like I'm not going anywhere on this Peloton bike. I'm not going anywhere on this, you know, on this treadmill. Like I just for me, it doesn't work. That's not, you know, that's not a motivating factor. So what I've decided to do is I actually joined an African dance class. Mm, Okay. So um, I do it every Saturday, um, except for obviously the Saturdays that I have to work. But I do it every Saturday. I could literally do this class every single day if it was every single day. I literally Yo, could. Yo, that's not what she was saying um, the, first, so the first time. That is not Because how sore were you afterwards? Yeah, but I didn't say I couldn't do it every day. I said I could <laughs> hey, do y'all, this every day. y'all, don't believe her. This lady was what saying talking about? my neck, my back, my neck and my back. It was like, yo, you was Ezel, remember? You had to take Tylenol for like three days to stop Get the neck pain. You were Tylenol like, oh, do a lumbar once. puncture on me. I got some type of nerve. No. <laughs> I was like, yo, I think it's because you haven't worked out in like five years or something like that. And you remember? No, I didn't say I couldn't do it. I said I Dr. could do this Renee every day. Dr. Renee Darko, are you serious? I said I could do this every day. All right. Anyway, get to the point. Go ahead. I did say I could do for this every day. For the sake of keeping this forward. Go, go anyway, ahead. whatever. Anyway, so yes, I could do this every day. Um, if, if it was available every day, but that for me is just more purposeful exercise. And it's a great cardio workout. My goodness. Um, my dance instructor actually passed out last time. I was like, uh, I didn't know I was going to get put to work. Mm. Um, but she actually passed out, um, the last time because it got really, really hot, uh, in the studio. But for me, that, that's something that I, um, am including as part of my habits. Um, Okay. Oh, and one more thing. And walking. I did incorporate walking. Um, I need to establish a little bit more of a habit with that one, but I did start that. Um, so there's something called Girl Trek. I actually learned it, learned about it from uh Tiff the Budgenista. And um, so I joined that movement, if you will. Got my t-shirts and everything. So I'll be walking. You, you have as links well. to that? I can put the links in the show notes. Okay, let's put yeah. the links in the show notes so people can follow that. Yeah. And um, I'm glad that you're a part of something that's bigger than you because I think that's part of the mm-hmm. process of making these micro changes is, in essence, that's almost like accountability yeah. as well as doing something that you really enjoy to do, yeah. which is the um, attractiveness of it, mm-hmm. right? So African yeah. dance is something that you've always been interested in. Yeah. You can do that. You get a good workout. You feel like you've accomplished something, but also at the same time, with Girl Trek, that's something yeah. that's keeping you accountable. Yep. She finally came on the system, y'all. Finally came I'm on trying. <laughs> I'm trying. Oh, real quick, before we get into the main topic of this show, real quick, I spoke with my mentee yesterday. Okay. She's a second year resident. She is in Med Pete. She's in California. She's doing her thing. We check in, you know, every three to six months, but you know, be honest, like it's really been on the six to nine month side. <laughs> we okay. haven't talked in a minute. <laughs> um, but it was good connecting with her. And, you know, she's doing really well. I think academically, she's hitting all the... The milestones. She's hitting all of that. 
Yeah. I think that the way how she's describing how she feels in terms of she's not sure if she should take step A. She's not sure if she should go left. Should she go left when everybody's going right? Mm -hmm. All of these different things, you know, because her residency is four years. She's not sure if she should do, you know, fellowship. She's, you know, should she go into global health? Should she do? She's not sure what to do. She didn't say it, but I got the sense that she's stuck. Mm-hmm. Right. Like she has so much options available to her that there's a little bit of some analysis paralysis there. Right. right. And um, so the first thing I started off by saying is, is based off of what your attendings are doing and, you know, by your second year, you've gotten a chance to see a good portion of your attendings. Yeah. Is there anything from your their careers that you want to emulate? Right. And then she paused and then she said, no. <laughs> and I was like, all right. Well, Daniel. Right. But I didn't think that was a bad thing. I was, right, right, I, was right. take, I wasn't shocked by it, but I was, cause that's how I felt. Mm-hmm. Right. I felt like, you know, in residency, I admired my attendings, mm-hmm. but their careers were something that I didn't know if I wanted to do. I couldn't right. put a name. I put I that's something put, to be desired. Well, yeah. I couldn't put a name on it. I couldn't say it back then, but it was just like, ah, eh, that's not what I want to do. Right. 100%. And I think that's where she's at. And I think she's stuck. She's not going to say it, but it was really interesting to talk to her. You know, my biggest advice for her was just kind of just let things play out. You still have a lot of time. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that's saying that you have to take a step left or go right when right now you're in your second year. Mm-hmm. You don't have to start making decisions until your third year, maybe even your fourth year. Right. And there's plenty of people who have walked away and finished without doing anything and then come back years later and do a fellowship. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or, you know, they do something else. She's got an MBA also prior to coming okay. in. So she's got the administrative things also. So mm-hmm. I know you said a couple of words to her also. Do you want to share Yeah, something I that? mean, essentially, you know, she, listen, she can't go wrong with basically just doing something, right? She has all of these interests and none of these interests have to come in a very specific order. So she could literally do whatever, you know, whatever it is that she wants to do. Um, one of the other things that I said to her, because I know she's she revealed to us that she's also in a relationship is, you know, if if this is a serious relationship, like, don't be afraid to put that as part of the consideration in the things that you want to do, you know, and I think a lot of times we, you know, mm-hmm. talk to people about their well, careers. that depends on the relationship. Well, right. right. Like, it depends on the relationship, right? I'm not going to say, well, you know, <laughs> if he's like, nah, we ain't really serious, you know, uh, <laughs> but she wants to be serious with him. Well, okay, well, that's not, you know, that's not the kind of relationship that I'm talking about. I'm talking about a relationship, you know, where someone is committed to you, you're committed to that person, and you're trying to figure out your future together, then yes, consider that person in your future career plans even, right? Mm. So I think that that Without is a ring? okay. Say again? Without a ring? Yeah. I considered my future uh, relationship with you without a ring. Yeah, but by that time, like, we were, like, seven years in. And this is going to be another episode, guys. <laughs> Talking now. about our relationship is, like, that's a month episode because you got to break up <laughs> in so many different things. It's a whole month. The saga of our relationship and stuff. Like, we should not have been, we should not have made it, guys. But we have made it. All right? <laughs> we I'm still la- together. For, for real, for real, y'all. We had our issues, but we made it. <laughs> We here. It ain't no going back. But I but agree yeah. with you. I agree with you. To some extent, she needs to incorporate that. But no, I don't no, know. no. I just said, don't be afraid to 
put that as a consideration. I'm not telling her what to do, but I what I, I never tell people what to do, right? Like whatever decision you make, it's your life. You you gonna have to do whatever it is. But sometimes we make people feel guilty for including their significant other um, in in their career, you know, in their career decisions. And I think that that's a big part of your career decisions. You know, it, it that determines where you're going to be, what you're going to be doing, the amount of time that you're going to have for this Yeah, but person. after a one-year relationship, though, that's where, I, you know, like, there's plenty of people we knew in medical school who mm-hmm. were either married, they had children with, um, yeah. they were, you know, in a serious relationship for a significant period of time. So anyway, I, I think we, I get what you're saying. Right. I I'm get just what you're saying, saying don't be afraid to do that if you feel that this relationship is important enough to you if you feel that this relationship is going in the direction that you want it to go. And, li- Again, and life and we're not don't robots. Be, don't listen. Don't make that. Don't make that decision <laughs> if you like me and me and we two years in because hey, yo, that is definitely Josephine not a relationship. Darko, I, Josephine Darko. Like, listen, if they could show like a little, yo, you should see is, Josephine is, Darko. Is that telling, is that the is that the yes, past line? Yes. Josephine Darko telling a five-year-old knee Darko, listen, do not get married until you finish all of your training. You have to training. finish school. You have to finish All school. of your training. And then six years old, seven years old. So at an early age, y'all, I just knew, like, I don't know why. It's just in my in my mind. It was like Inception. My mom was Leonardo DiCaprio before it came out. <laughs> and she planted in my head, you she ain't getting married until you finish all of your your studies. And that's the way it played out. Okay, but let's be clear. It's not that I wanted to marry you before I finished my training Okay, let me be right. Let me not try to marriage shame you. I'm not trying to marriage shame you. Okay. Basically, what I'm trying to say is is that I was, at that point, I was a serial monogamous and I was cool with that at that point where I was like, yo. Wait, you are a what? Serial monogamous. Okay, we definitely need to have this show because I, I don't know what squiggly lines you looking at. Hey, yo, if you guys are watching this on YouTube, like... Uh, yeah, serial monogamous. So everybody, Renee's blood pressure is going up. She's <laughs> My not, blood pressure is not, not going up. She's not telling you, but there's just so much <laughs> angst that she's like, I just want to, should I say this on the show? My should blood I not pressure, say this on the show? My blood should I say this on the show? Should up. I not say this on the show? I'm going to really put his stuff you out there. You were the opposite. So let's, let's move on. One of the, the opposite of a serial monogamous. Let's, let's get back to our mentee, right? So I was telling her that, you know, she's considering global health. Let's just move on quickly because it's going to be uncomfortable. <laughs> let's move on amicably. Amicably, please. <laughs> Alfred, please put in a little picture of the 40-year-old virgin. Romney, let's move on amicably. I rep smart tech. (laughs) This your boy? This your boy? Oh, man. Yo. Okay, listen. (laughs) So one of the things that I told her was that she should consider global health, right? Or at least opportunities for global health because that is a great idea to see how medicine is practiced outside of the United States. It's as close to what I call a professional reboot. It gives you a fresh sense of, you know, what you expect medicine to be practiced like without, Mm -hmm. you know, some of the things that we worry about in the bureaucracy, the red tape. And And it has its challenges, but yes. Which reminds me, guys. It is 2023. We are already planning for our trip, our yep. medical humanitarian trip to Ghana. It is going to be August 2023. It's going to be August 4th, 
to August 18th, we are going to Ghana. Usually we take a team of about 30 folks and we go to Ghana. So that means that we are flying out of JFK August 4th. We are flying back from Ghana August 18th. And this is literally a medical humanitarian trip where it's bi-directional learning. We teach them stuff. We learn a lot more with them. And we do everything from internal medicine to yep. ER medicine to obviously uh, women's health with um, mainly urogyne yeah. and colonoscopy and GYN, and GYN stuff. Colposcopy even. What did I say? Colonoscopy. Yeah. So basically we learn from them. They learn from us. We teach their residents or what is basically the house officers and we do lectures and so forth. And it's a great experience. Mm -hmm. Most of the time when I'm there, it's either hernias thyroids. Um, that's pretty much it. <laughs> These yeah. huge inguinal hernias or ventral hernias. Well, you, get, you, you get some other intestinal things also. Yeah. I mean, you had that it's huge rare. gist. Yeah, but that's that once. Yeah, yeah, it's that's not. Once. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. But for yeah. the sake of people who are interested in doing it. Right. For the most part of your general surgery, expect to do a yeah, bunch of hernias. Of hernias. And we work thyroid, as a team. Lipomas. You yep. get a lot of lipomas. We work as a team, guys. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're interested in coming, um, we're going to put the, sh the link in the show notes. But right now, all we want you to do is go to IHCV.org forward slash. There's going to be, well, don't even worry about the forward slash. Yeah, Just go to IHCV.org and there's going to be a section where you can fill out a medical volunteer interest form. Mm -hmm. We'll put that link in the notes. But if you go to the website, it's very easy to find that form. And it doesn't you know, commit you to anything. All it does is it just says that you're interested and it puts you along or mm -hmm. puts you in our email list so that you can see how plannings are going and things like that. And as a matter of fact, this February 3rd, we have our first meeting mm -hmm. on Zoom where we're going to talk about that. And we'll yeah. leave it there. And, and ain't everybody going to go. Remember, some, some, some people want to be the great American savior. If you are that, take note of, of what your personality is. If you are going there to be the great American savior, this trip ain't for you. There Basically, are other... if, we, if you know you are you annoying and you know if you are annoying or not, you ain't coming. <laughs> <laughs> Can I be as blunt? That's fine. But this ain't this trip ain't for you if you are going to be the great American savior. We don't do that here. Please keep that home. We don't do that here. So not everybody is selected to go as a volunteer. But we do need GYNs. We need surgeons. We need anesthesiologists, um, emergency med, IM. Um, Fourth-year fourth year medical students are also welcome on the trip, as well as any junior volunteers um, who are basically, you know, maybe somebody like a pre-med or whatever. So, okay, yeah. All right, guys, make sure you check the show notes. Listen, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we will be talking about a study that showed the differences in debt among postgraduate medical students or medical residents, excuse me, by self-designated race and ethnicity. Mm. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by locumstory.com. Backdrop. 2012, finishing my fellowship in Miami and no decision bigger than where and how I was going to start working on my own. And there it was, the fork in the road, being employed versus something I had never heard of before, locum tenants. So I decided to go the locums route, and I had a ton of questions then. I stumbled a bit, but eventually I was able to stand on my own, and I have been working locums over the past 10 years. Now, what about you? If you're considering locums, you probably have hella questions just like I did, like, who covers my malpractice? Do I really have control over 
how often I work, and what are the tax implications. Now, lucky for you, locumstory.com has the answers you need. It's packed with unbiased information and advice from docs just like you. And there's nothing to sell here. It's just a simple resource for information, like finding out what's the average pay rate for your specialty. There's even a quiz to see if locums is right for you. So listen, take my advice. Locumstory.com is the perfect place to start if you want to learn more about locums. That's locumstory.com. All right. Spoiler alert. There's a study out there that shows that there is a difference in debt among postgraduate medical residents who self-identify by their race and ethnicity. And this is taken from data from 2014. Is that a spoiler? In <laughs> 2019. <laughs> it is. I mean, like, come on. Like, it's not really a spoiler. We didn't know that. But that's what I'm saying. Can you follow along for the sarcasm, girl? Okay, I, I can do. I can be sarcastic just like oh, you. Okay. Everybody knows you as, like, the comic relief and the sarcastic person. I'm the David. Brother, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the Marlon Wayans. Brother can be sarcastic also. I'm the Marlon Wayans. So basically, this study came out, it was in, um, what was this, in Health Affairs, excuse Mm -hmm. me, came out this year, January 2023. Um, The main author is from Yale University School of Medicine, and uh, basically just shows that becoming a physician requires significant time and financial investment, and populations that are underrepresented in medicine have also been excluded from building wealth. We know that, right? Yep. So this says, understanding the differential burden of debt by race and ethnicity may inform strategies to improve workforce diversity. Okay, you got me hooked there. So this says that they use data from 2014 to 2019 on postgraduate resident trainees from the AAMC to examine the association between race and ethnicity and debt independent of other demographics and residency characteristics. Mm. Mm. It says black trainees were significantly more likely to have every type of debt than the overall sample and all other race and ethnic groups. Mm-hmm. 96% of black trainees had any debt versus 83% overall, right? Mm. 60% had pre-medical educational loans versus 35% overall. And 50% had consumer debt versus 25% overall. Hmm. American Indian, American Native, Hispanic, and Native, Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander trainees were more likely to have debt compared with white and Asian trainees. Overall debt prevalence decreased over time. We hope so. Right. Right. And varied by specialty. However, for black trainees, debt decreased minimally over time and was stable across specialties. Mm. Yep. Interesting. Scholarships, debt relief and financial guidance should be explored to improve diversity and inclusion in residency or in medicine across specialties. So basically, y'all, everything that we talked to the NRMP about. But this actually has some more data um, actual studies based off of what you know postgraduate students are doing and basically if you want to know why there's two black doctors here talking about money and medicine all the time mm-hmm. if you want to know why we have this show for the past seven years this information in this here is why. this is basically the 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 thesis of it right yeah. how is it that two black doctors have a total of almost seven hundred thousand dollars of student loan debt now that's not unique right right because you got you got two doctor households who are white who are Asian and they may have the same amount, but why is it that these two, why are we always talking about this? Mm -hmm. This stuff in the study shows why. Because it's going to be more likely in our demographic, um, you know, than our, you know, than our white counterparts and our Asian counterparts. And, you know, we talked about this in a previous episode when we talked about going to the NRMP, you know, it's interesting that at the end of the abstract, they, they recommend scholarships, 
But what we talked about, remember, with the NRMP was that scholarships scholarships are actually distributed pretty evenly across across the board, regardless of the fact that you have this gap. Regardless in, of financial need. Right. Regardless of the fact that you have gaps in financial need and financial status. So it's like, well, how is that even like, is that even going to help? Because if they're distributed evenly, then all it's doing is just keeping the gap the same. So I don't even know if that would necessarily help. Um, unless there's a change in how the scholarships are actually distributed. So, you know, it's really important to understand that the debt, the debt that we go to in medicine stays with us, but it also has other implications on our lives, right? Because a lot of us, particularly if you are Black, if you come from, you know, let me put through some of these backgrounds here, right? If we're talking about American Indian, Alaska Native, Hispanic, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, usually it's not just us mm-hmm. that we are going to medical school for, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. right? Like there is a support of a family unit that ultimately we're going to be in charge of, mm-hmm. right? So there's this notion, I saw it in the New York Times several weeks ago, where they were talking about the sandwich generation, right? This is going to be the largest amount of people in Generation X and a little bit of millennials who not only have to pay for debt on their own, Mm -hmm. um, but they also have to take care of children. But then you throw on top of that, they have to take care of their parents. Mm -hmm. You know, so yes, you may have a multi-generational household, but actually that one, you know, that person in the middle, that doctor is taking care of grandma and grandpa, but also the kids. Mm -hmm. So that, opportunity to get the wealth that others may be able to get it's gonna be a little tricky yeah it's it might be, be it's tricky. gonna be siphoned off yeah so you know but ultimately I, you know there's so many different things that i get from this i think the most important thing that i get from this is that in my opinion the barrier of entry to get into medical school i'm not talking about academics we can get into that in another episode yeah, that's a, yeah. we can get it i think the barrier of entry which in this case is financial mm-hmm. is too damn high Right. Yeah. And not and you know, you could joke around. I'm not joking around about it, but it's like it's I wonder if that's a major issue. And we oftentimes say, well, maybe it's, you know, academics or maybe we're not reaching out to certain communities. Maybe it's just the price is just too much. Well, let me tell you. So last year I went to was it last year or the year before? Last year, actually, I went to the SMA conference and the workshop that I did for them actually was a pre-med workshop and it had to do with how much it costs to even apply to medical school and how you might think that your academics are the things that are holding you back from getting into medical school, but it actually may be the amount of money that you don't have in order to spend, you know, the, the it, basically the no, amount we, of we, money. We don't know. Explain. What do you right. mean? So the amount of money that you need to spend in order to cast a wide net of schools that you can apply to. So, for example, right, you might ask a student, you know, from a lower socioeconomic status, well, how many schools did you apply to? And they'll say, well, I applied to 10 schools. Well, that might not have been enough, right? Depending on the schools that you applied to, you might have actually had to have cast and a MCAT, wider And their MCAT net. scores. Right. They're, I'm, I'm saying barring, like, barring any issues with MCAT scores or whatever or their grades, I'm saying that you know, 
sometimes the issue is they just didn't cast a wide enough net of schools that would actually look at them, right? So I'll give you an example, right? I have a student, she applied, I think, to, I want to say 13 schools in the United States, right? And between money and the understanding of where she might want to be in school, she applied to 13 schools in the United States. Now, she's from New Jersey. So she applied, like, right up in that East Coast area, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, a little bit of Ohio, went to Chicago, skipped what I call the donut hole, skipped and went all the way to California and actually did one in in Oregon, which I was shocked about. But oftentimes, when I'm I'm talking to students, I'm like, well, why did you skip? All of these schools that probably would have looked at you in the Midwest. In the Midwest, yeah. Right? They would have looked at you, but you didn't apply to those schools. Well, one is the demographic that they're looking at, but two is also the money, right? The money that they don't have to apply. So she had enough money to apply to 13 schools. So she applied to the schools that she was like, well, I'm comfortable with the demographics of these areas. So when I got to talking to her, because she didn't get any interviews, I, well, she got one interview and she wanted more. I said, well, why didn't you apply to the schools in the Midwest? She was like, well, the whole demographic thing. But she was like, the other thing is the money. I just don't have enough money to apply to those schools as well. So, yeah, maybe if she had cast a wide enough net, she would have been able to get more interviews. But the the cost barrier is real. The cost barrier is real. Yeah, I, and the other thing that I think about too, is not even, let's go past getting into medical school. It's the dismissal from medical school. Oh, God, please. Or leaving medical school that can be completely devastating, whether Ugh. that's after your first year, your Ciao. second year. Definitely by the time you finish medical school and you're actually in residency, getting dismissed from a program is devastating. So there's like information from the ACGME that kind of breaks down people getting dismissed from their program mm-hmm. based off of specialty as well as broken down into demographics and race mm-hmm. and so forth. And I'll tell you right now, whether whatever background you come from, getting dismissed from a program is a big deal. Um, and sometimes getting dismissed is not even getting dismissed. It's I need to just leave this program and go and do something else. Mm-hmm. That That type of mental math is really affected by, well, while I'm looking to get into another program, while I'm looking to start this process of getting into someplace else, can I even afford to do that? Right. Well, that's what we kind of talked about. Right, like that. uh, It's that lateral mobility that is basically X'd off, right? Like Mm -hmm. you are stuck in this this one route and there's no other way that you can get out of this. You have to keep moving forward. If you jump out, then there's really no realistic way that you're going to pay off this debt. It's a lot. It's you know, a lot. which brings me back to you know, student doctor uh, uh, Asias is like, I'm, I'm very interested as as to you know the thought process. Yeah. As is, and I'm not saying that that should discourage someone from saying, look, you know what? Ultimately, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm but you out. can't ignore that as part of. You can't ignore that as part of the decision, right? You really can't. And the thing is, the attrition rates for you know underrepresented students is actually higher, right? The dismissal rates. You know, when you look at the dismissal rates, they're disproportionately higher for um, underrepresented demographics, which, yeah, that's in line with that, with the study that you just read, with the abstract that you just read. So, you know, (laughs) like 
the amount of money that we spend in our education when we go through the whole thing, right? When we go through seamlessly is high enough. But now when you talk about someone who, um, you know, their their journey is basically interrupted and they're no longer able to to complete their journey, like what does that look like for that person? Yeah, one of the outgoing surgeons at the Society of Thoracic Surgery, this was a really big deal. This was at STS 2023. This was, it made its uh, rounds on Twitter. And one of the last slides that he had was virtuous ideals. And it says affirmative action is not equal opportunity. Inclusion, not the same as diversity. Search for the best candidate. Use all hurdles and challenges overcome. Divining people by color, gender, religion only tends to ingrain bias and discrimination. Diversity is occurring rapidly. Best metric is simply whether someone does good. <laughs> right? As a result, you know, this obviously made its way through Twitter. I want to play hood jeopardy with somebody like that. People Let's had play bunch, hood jeopardy. People had a bunch of issues with this comment. <laughs> and as a result, the Society of Trauma, or excuse me, the Society of thoracic surgeons put out a a message or a um this you know, was a live presentation this was a live presentation and what was the reaction of the audience did someone stand up and say that's uh not quite what it is well i wasn't there so i can't say but some people are saying that there were a significant amount of people who were applauding some people say there was a small amount i don't know we can't mm-hmm. say that just going based off of what the the slide says mm-hmm. but you know they put out a statement basically affirming their commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, I'm really interested from your standpoint because you just did a lecture for ICOM Mm -hmm. and you talked about the relationship between diversity, inclusion, and equity, and professionalism. Mm -hmm. After doing a presentation like that and you see something like this where someone is saying, well, you know, this whole notion of, you know, including people based off of, you know, socioeconomic status, um, all that's doing is kind of decreasing the standards um, of how we normally evaluate people. Um, it, um, yeah, it helps with diversity, but we're bringing people in who mm-hmm. may not be, you know, the best and all that stuff. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Because I have well, thoughts on it, but I want to get your opinion on it. I that. will say, yeah, it does change the standards by which they, you know, they let people in. And that's not a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. Because the standards by which, you know, we do a lot of things in, not just in in medical education, but kind of all across the board, the standards by which we pick the best person is usually people who look like you, who, you know, do the exact same thing as you and have like, it literally is this country club, you know, mentality of, well, if you're not like me, you don't look like me, you don't make as much money as me, you can't play, you know? And I'm glad that that standard is changing, right? I'm glad that that standard is changing. So whoop-de-doo, like that's, that's the whole point. Of, was, of of the thing. I got in contact with a thoracic surgeon who's very, very well trained. Um, he's African-American, prominent on on Twitter. And we were discussing because there were certain things that I wanted to clarify. Because I remember when I was in training, becoming a thoracic surgeon took years. Mm-hmm. Years of not only just residency, but also pausing your residency and doing research. Right. So we're talking about, you know, you're doing a general surgery residency and then you're doing some research. There's multiple ways you can get to thoracic surgery, but the main way is you're doing residency for about five years and then you do research for maybe for an additional two, three years. And then you go and you do additional training in cardiothoracic surgery once someone lets you in, Mm -hmm. right? So the reason why I'm tying this all back to what we were talking about earlier, which is, 
you know, medical residents and the debt that they have is, mm-hmm. is, you know, this is a big deal financially. Yeah. If someone is able to get through medical school, they're in a ton of student loan debt. And then, you know, you're trying to make those payments to all of residency, you know, depending on how you're getting paid as a as a fellow or getting paid as doing research, you know, your debt could be going up. You know, or, you know, whatever struggles you may be doing, you may it may be multiplying and and getting really bad. Mm -hmm. And now we're talking about there's a possibility that you may not get into a residency because someone thinks that you're not as good as the rest. You can't play. You can't play. (laughs) You can't play. To me, that's very frustrating. Yeah. You don't look like me. You don't come from this. You don't. I don't understand your background. You know, there are certain things that, you know, in your life that I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily agree with. And therefore, you can't play. Um, And for me, I'm like, well, (laughs) the problem is that your your patient load, right, comes from a lot of different backgrounds. Your patient load comes from, you know, places that you are not familiar with. So my question is, this standard that is created, right, is actually substandard. It's an actual substandard because this standard cannot possibly take care of the gamut of patients that we have in this country, right? And so that's where the inclusion comes in. You have to include people who understand the actual landscape of patients that you're taking care of. Other than that, what you're saying is that then you have a standard of patients that you want to take care of, which we already know there's structural racism in medicine. So Mm -hmm. does that exist? Yeah, there's a standard of patients that people just want to take care of. And there's a substandard of patients that they think, eh, I don't really want to take care of those people. So, you know, that that's kind of where like the whole, you know, structural racism comes into play where people are like, no, show me the policy where it says that black people can't get into medical school. I'm like, dumbass, like, You don't have to have a policy that says that in order for you to find a loophole or some sort of caveat to be able to say that there is structural racism. Like, you're you're a whole doctor. You should be able to understand the complexity of a system and how the complexity of that system can actually foster, you know, foster biases and racism and all these things. So for me, I, I... I'm like a whole doctor literally gave this present a whole doctor. Mm-hmm. You so smart. You went to medical school. You did all these things. You went to thoracic, you know, surgery, residency. You did research. And you don't understand the nuances of an entire medical education system that fosters, you know, these biases. Instead, you take the opposite you know, and you say, well, no, if we include all these people, then it's just fostering biases. I'm like, wow, you're a whole doctor. Wow. Uh, I don't think he's the only person who feels well, that way. Well, no, he's who, not. He feels that way he's also. Not. Of course not. And we, we, saw, we, we heard the JAMA, uh, you know, we heard the JAMA episode. Yeah, yeah I, I think he's not the only one who feels that way. And, you know, you know, guys, when we when we discuss these things, you know, we try to be as... Um, objective as possible, but also at the same time, we got to realize that we don't work in a vacuum, right? And right. there's certain things that affect us um, that may not affect other groups, but also at the same time, all of this stuff affects all of us, right? Finances, debt, 
all of that stuff affects, as this study shows, affects so many different people from so many different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. It just so happens that there's certain vulnerable populations who right. constantly see these issues over and over and over and over again. And uh, we just wanted to shed some highlight on that. So I'm very interested in what people think about this. I want you guys to text us at 82. Excuse me, is this 822? 833, sorry. 833, sorry. Texas at 833-230-2860. Why don't you tell us if you agree or disagree with uh, the, the slide uh, that the doctor had at the Society of Thoracic Surgeons? Or if Surgeons. you disagree with Dr. Renee, because I don't care. <laughs> Whether you agree or you disagree, we're very interested because I think it's, it's worth having that type of discussion. And um, it's really interesting to find out what our listeners uh, think about yeah. this. And, um, you know. No, no judgment zone here, but we're very interested. No, I'm so judging you. You're judging? We, we all, that, that's all good. That's all good. <laughs> so, you know, and, uh, the one thing that I also wanted to mention also, because I, I did mention that getting dismissed from a program is financially devastating. Right. Right. It's more than just career. It's financially devastating right. for someone. Um, but also, I remember about two years ago, there was a medical student who was graduating from medical school, she was doing her exit interview and she found out how much debt that she had, right? And oh, she was just I completely that. Yes. she was completely shocked by it, right? Mm -hmm. And then she put it on Twitter that she just wasn't expecting that. Mm. And she was just devastated by the consequences of that, how she's going to make payments for that, going into residency and so forth. And there was a famous blogger who said that, well, this is the epitome of financial illiteracy, right? Mm -hmm. This goes back to what I'm saying about the barriers of entry being too high, right? Yes, not understanding what the effects of signing all of these promissory notes and not knowing graduating from medical school, how much you're going to get into, how much total that's going to be. Yes, in some regards, you can say that it is financial illiteracy. Yeah, but it is. But, I think people don't like the word illiterate. Well, I think it's more that it's coming from who it's coming from is a problem, right? And that's what drives people nuts is just like, listen, man, I got to deal with A. I got to deal with B. I got to deal with C. I got to deal with D. And then I got to hear that you telling me that I'm financially illiterate. It's just like, look, in order for me to change, I want to do this, right? Right. And in order for me to change literally my social standing and what I really want to do. I got to take on all this debt. That's a lot of shit to take on. Of right? course it so is. So I, yeah. I present to you, I'm going to ask you, like, let's say, for example, you found out that going to medical school, by the time you graduated, you'd have $500,000 of debt. Seriously. Mm -hmm. And it may take you 10 years, maybe even longer to pay it off. Would you still do it? You've asked me this question before on the show. I told you, yes, I would have I done it. I, I would have I I would, I have to think about it. And that's the honest for me. I would be like... Mm. So I'm going to tell you... And I think a I, lot of people do that. I, so I'm going to tell you who I was back then, I would have done it. Who I am now, knowing what I know now, that it would be a different answer, right? So if you said to me, if you said to pre-med Renee, it's going to cost you $500,000 to go to medical school. Right. To, to finish it all, go to medical school, go through residency. At the end, you'll have, you know, five hundred thousand dollars worth of student loan debt. <laughs> I would have been like, yeah, OK, that's fine, because. What if I told you it'd be fifteen thousand dollars to apply to medical school? Because that. Would be so something, now that's a different story. That'd be something that really would affect exactly, you. Exactly. Because, because whether it's yes. two thousand dollars or three thousand dollars, three thousand dollars to you may be fifteen thousand dollars to me, if you know what I mean. right? Yes, I get it. I get it. So I'm going to tell you. That actually is a different scenario because if you ask pre-med Renee, right, $500,000 in the next eight 
maybe 10 years. It goes into the cloud. You're it goes like, ah. into the cloud. You ask pre-med Renee, $15,000, which is significantly less than $500,000. That you have to come up with in less than a year. Come, right. That I have to come up with in either a year or two years. That's a different story. And that's where the financial literacy actually can really start, I think, for people who are going into medicine to be like, yo, you do understand this is what it's going to cost you to go into medical school, right? Like, this is how much it's going to cost you to apply. Students don't even have a clue. I'm telling you, when I did that, when I did that presentation, even $3,000, they weren't expecting. I'm like, dude, you don't even expect to spend $3,000? Like, come on. I'm like, how many of y'all got $3,000 saved? Two hands raised in a room of like 50 people. Two. Two. Okay. Well, and I think, I mean, the same way that you describe that is the same way you can say, well, people going into medical medical school are not prepared to graduate with. Remember, we went to right. We went to the but, AOA convention, right? And, you know, you have medical students who are graduating with four hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right? Debt. It's like, well, it's just I, to me, I think it's this thing is way too expensive, and in some fashion. It's a message to certain people that mm-hmm. you're you're not welcome you here. You can't play. You know. You can't play. Right. I'm going to right, it's kind of like we see this in the fashion industry all the time, right? That if you price a uh if you price a purse, right? A handbag, a certain price, everybody ain't rocking that handbag. Right. Right? Everybody ain't rocking it. It's not for you, right? So if I got a small little clutch bag and it costs $12,000, guess what? Not everybody's rocking it, right? You can't play. You you can't afford this. This is not a store you should even <coughs> think about walking into if you are of a certain socioeconomic status. Don't even think about it, right? But everybody can walk into Walmart. Yeah. So, you know, and that's the thing is that's where the the the, the financial literacy um, could play a huge part. We could really start at least with pre-meds because they're not doing it in most high schools. They're not doing it in most colleges. But at least for people who are going into medicine um, during their pre-med years, that might be somewhere that we can that we can start. So, well, listen, guys, this is a topic that we can go on forever and ever. ever. But that's how uh, we look at it, you know. Yeah. And um, I want you guys once again text us at eight three three. Two three zero two eight six zero. Let us know what your thoughts are. If you disagree with Renee's take, if you disagree with my take, if you agree with our take, if you agree with the uh, thoracic surgeons' take with their virtuous ideals, we're very interested to see what you got to say about this. Um, I think that's it. We're gonna keep it a buck. End it right here. That's right. All right, y'all. We will catch you guys on the next episode of Docs Outside the Box. Peace. Peace. Lower the price of med school. <laughs>